and uh, I believe our last lesson. And I would like to read to you from John chapter number 12. I preached from this passage of scripture just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm trying to think if I need to tell this or not. <laughs> I'm going to tell it, and I hope, I hope you don't think this is being crude, okay? So, in, interesting thing with preachers is, is you know, you're, when you feel led to preach on something, you, uh, one of the things you're trying to think about is how you're going to title that, that message, that sermon. And so, um, usually... I'm, y'all know me, and, and I don't have any problem with anybody that doesn't different than me. Everybody's different. They have their style. So um, I typically just pull my text, and I, and I preach from that. I don't tell a lot of stories, perhaps. Um, sometimes I will. And I'll usually use something from the text as part of my title. And so I don't have a lot of flashy titles, and maybe I should do better at that. I don't know, but... But the other day, I was preaching from that passage of Scripture. And I preached from when the Bible said that Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard and she anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I preached about thanksgiving that fills the house. But before I thought about it, when I was putting that in my notes in my, in my phone, as I will do in my iPad, and I'll go back and work on a message a little bit, I actually titled that without even thinking about it, An Odor That Fills the House. <laughs> and then I looked at that and I said, that's probably not the best sermon title. I may never, they may not hear anything I have to say. So we changed it to Thanksgiving That Fills the House. And I just, I don't know why I felt like you needed to know that, but... But I thought I'd share it. I hope that doesn't come across as too crude for you. John chapter number 12. I, I do want to read from this passage of Scripture again. Y'all will never read this <laughs> the same way again either. You'll always see that. It's good to see Brother David and Sister Melba walk in. We prayed for you a while ago, Sister Melba. Um, then Jesus, John 12, 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Where you got to remember this, you got to catch this, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And again, Martha served. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. It is interesting. There's two examples in Scripture where Jesus is anointed. And um, this one is this is one where Mary anoints his feet. And then there's another passage where um, a woman comes in at Simon the leper's house and anoints his head. And I think it's interesting that Jesus was anointed from head to toe. And I think it should tell us something that as we are seeking to be like him, we need to seek to be anointed from head to toe. I don't want a part of my life to be anointed. I don't want a part of my life to be dedicated to God. I want to give him everything. Amen? Amen. So she does this. She anoints his feet. And then, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now notice verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag. He had their money bag and bare what was put therein. If you were to read that in the... In, in another version, like, say, New King James Version, it tells you that last phrase, and bear what put therein. It also, what it really, what they're trying to get, thank you. He used to take what was put in it. He didn't just carry the money bag. He was stealing from the church. That's interesting, isn't it? 
I'm going to come back to that. You see two very different hearts. Again, we're talking about the blessed life tonight, and, and I'm dealing sp- specifically with having a spirit of generosity that would get a hold of us. Two very different hearts are exposed in this one story. You see two people who seem to be diametrically opposed one to the other. You have Mary, who is, who is so, um, she is so humbled before Jesus. And then you have Judas and his self-righteous attitude. Um, with her, you see a heart of generosity displayed. With Judas, you see a heart of selfishness displayed. Can you agree with that? Now, when we typically preach from this setting in Scripture, and I have many times, we usually tie Mary's gift of this ointment, 300 pence worth, we usually tie Mary's gift to her worship. And it is, because biblical giving is worship unto God. When we give, with the right motives, when we give um, with a heart for the things of God, when we do it biblically, we are, we are committing an act of worship to the Lord. I think sometimes maybe, and maybe this is my fault as pastor, we probably do ourselves a disservice when we just try to fly through the offering when it comes to that part of the service on a Sunday. And we just try to move through it very quickly. And what are we doing? We're trying not, many times, we're trying not to lose momentum in the service. Um, I don't like to be in a service where it's stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. Anybody know what I mean? You sing and everybody gets, gets to, to worship in the Lord. And then we, then we bring it down and we, and, and we give one announcement. And then we sing another song and everybody gets back into it. And then we give them another announcement. Then we sing, and everybody's getting excited, and then the pastor gets up and says something he's ticked off about, you know. And so, that wouldn't happen in this church. (laughs) And so, uh, we create this up and down effect, and I'm not a fan of that. And and another thing I'm not a fan of is singing a service to death. I'm just telling you all a little bit of my philosophy now while I'm up here. (laughs) Again, not a lot to do with what I'm preaching. Um. I don't want to sing a service to death. I've, I've, seen, I've seen a church sing for so long that when the preacher gets up, nobody, nobody wants to respond to the preaching. And while I'm on this, so I'm, and there's such a good spirit in here, everybody's agreeing with me. <laughs> Let us be careful that we have had recently a lot of in and out during the preaching part of the service. And I know some people may be here that don't know better. And, and they're not used to, to being in the house of God. And for them, we need to give an example of what correct church etiquette is. And it should be that when the word of God is being preached, unless it's an emergency, we don't need to be in and out. And I get that. And I know there's going to be times we've got to go in and out. So I'm not against that. Um, just let's make sure that, that it's an emergency. Why? Because the word of God is that important. And I don't want to ever do anything that hinders somebody from hearing God's word. And if we step out, again, you've got, to, you, you've got to step out. This pastor understands. I'm talking about the rule, not the exception, okay? If you, if you do step out, part of what happens is you miss the flow of what God is saying. And so... You're, you're, you're connected to what's happening, then you step out, you get disconnected, you come back in, we've left you behind. And so just those, that's just another thing with our etiquette that we could do. Amen? All right. Um, wh- where was I? <laughs> worship, that's right. Biblical giving is worship of God. And so uh, we've probably been, uh, have done a miss before in that, we have just kind of flowed through that, trying not to lose momentum in a service. But if we're doing it right, giving should not cause us to lose momentum. Because when we give, folks, I, I guarantee you we are turning the attention of God 
toward this place. Just as much as when we lift our hands or we lift our voice, when we give our tithe and we give our offering to the Lord, it commands the attention of God. It is interesting that in all of the Scripture, there's only one recorded place where Jesus sat down to watch people. And the only time Jesus sat down to watch people was when he went to church. He sat down over by the treasury to see how people would give. Isn't that powerful? Think it doesn't matter to him? Sure it matters to him. He watched to see how they would give. Um, so biblical giving is worship of God. But in, in our preaching of that and preaching of, of this gift that she gives as being worship, we also need to be careful that in order to preach the principle that we don't lose the literalness of the... I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean. We don't need to lose the literalness of the Scripture of what is happening. Because while that was worship, we need to stop and consider what she gave that day. She gave that pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, the Bible says. Matter of fact, it tells us should have been sold... For 300 pence. Isn't that something? Don't lose sight of what she gave. Mary gave extravagantly. We are, we are made to understand that what she gave that day was worth a year's wage for the average person. Now, how many of us in this room, if you had something worth a year's wage that you owned outright and you just gave it, Maybe let's just make it easy. Somebody handed you a check for a year's wages. Would that be extravagant for you to give that to the Lord? Sure it would. Sure it would. That would be quite an offering that you would give to God. So I don't want to move past what she did. No doubt that when she did that in that setting, there were people there who were watching with mouths hanging open, just gaping, watching what she was doing, thinking, I cannot believe that she is giving such an extravagant gift to Jesus. In her flesh, let's be honest, in her flesh, that could not have been easy. In her flesh, that had to, that had to hurt. But you know what I have found? It's this, that when I love God completely, my heart for God will always speak louder than my humanity. When I love Him fully, my heart for Him will always speak louder than this old flesh. People say, how do you live the way you live? How can you, how can you, a lot of people who are not of us would look and say, how can you live such a disciplined life? Your lifestyle is so disciplined, what you, would, what you wear and what you do or what you don't do, what you, what you will partake of as far as um, drinking and different things or, or uh, smoking and different things. H how do you do that? It's got to be so hard. I, I could never do that, they think. And this is what I find, that when I love God completely, when my heart is really right with Him, it's not hard for me to lay some of those things down. I'm not trying to say that it's not a battle for people to lay things down that have become a part of who they are. I would never want to diminish your struggle. Some of those things are not difficult for me because I've never even partaken of them. And I've never made them a part of my life. But I will tell you the things that I have had to lay down. When I got my heart right with God, it made it so much easier to leave that at an altar when my heart was fully toward Him. You think about it. Think about this. How are we commanded to love the Lord? Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and verse 5 as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's the part we always quote. Hear, O Israel, Shema, Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that's, that is the cornerstone scripture of the Old Testament. You've heard me say it. That's the, that's the chief scripture of the Old Testament. But it doesn't end with that, does it? 
What's at the end of the word Lord? Go back just a moment. It's a colon. Is that right? Okay, just making sure. All right. Nobody said amen, so you scared me. (laughs) It's a colon. Sometimes I ain't as smart as I think I am, so it's it's wise to check. So it it doesn't end there. Hear, O Israel. And that's a colon. The Lord our God is one Lord. Another colon. So there's a continuing thought here. Next verse says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all of thy might. That's how we're commanded to love him. We're commanded to love him with all of our hearts. We're commanded to love him with all of our souls. And we're commanded to love him with all of our might. Everything that we do, everything that we are, it all should be colored by the fact that we love him. In the New Testament, Jesus quotes this verse as being the greatest of all the commandments. And they said, Lord, which is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your might. He says strength in the New Testament. It's, it's a different word. It's going from Hebrew to Aramaic. Same verse he's quoting. He says this is how you've got to do that. And then he gives us the second greatest commandment. And he says that it is like unto the first. And he adds and he says, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He said... You've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then you've got to love that person next to you like you love yourself. You talk about a great commandment. I submit to you tonight that Mary lived that commandment. No doubt her heart was fully in love with Jesus. How do you know that, Pastor? Because Mary humbled herself. Mary walked in front of people she knew were going to criticize her. She walked in front of people in a a society when she was supposed to be in the background. She walked right in front of all of them. And she didn't do it to just be discreet. But she made a scene worshiping the Lord as she poured that ointment on his feet. That's not something you can be having conversation and ignore. You ever been trying to have a conversation with somebody and something's going on and you try to ignore it? I've been preaching before <laughs> trying to ignore stuff. And, and sometimes you're successful, sometimes you aren't. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this would have been one of those times you're not going to be successful because this woman is making a scene at the feet of Jesus, but she did not care what their thoughts about that were. She completely loved the Lord, and so she wanted to give to him. So I'm talking about generosity. That was a generous and extravagant gift she gave. There's three things about generosity we need to know. The first one is this. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. We are all born selfish. When you were a baby, you cried until somebody gave you what you wanted. Right? And there's some that are a little old to be doing it, but they still cry and whine. That's a whole nother message. One of, one of our first words was this word. Mine. Right? Mine. You ever you ever had a kid and, and and you go to pick something up, they were playing with it earlier, but they ain't playing with it and they're off in another land and, and, and you go to pick it up and they see you pick it up and they come running over. Mine. Right? Mine. Yeah, we got- and we think as parents, i got to get that under control, right? It's mine. 
That's just part of our nature. All of us have to overcome that. Judas, Judas was the enemy of her generosity. Why? Because Judas was selfish. He acts in that, in that text. He acts as if he's being very kingdom-minded. Why was this not sold and given to the poor? He's, here he is. He's acting like one of those Pharisees that Jesus has been after. In reality, he didn't care about the poor. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us he didn't. He didn't care about the the poor. He was simply a thief. He was a thief. Matter of fact, put verse 6 back up there, John 12 and 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the bag and bear what was put therein or would take from the bag of money that the disciples carried about in order to have their needs met as they traveled with Jesus. So he was a thief. Now think about this. I'm going to ask some questions here. Think about it. Not trick questions. Who put, G, who put Judas in... I just gave it away. Who put Judas in charge of the money? Jesus did. Jesus put Judas in charge of the money. Did Jesus know that Judas was a thief? Yes. How do you know that? Because he's God. He knows everything. But if you struggle with that, there is a, a verse of Scripture that tells us earlier, a, a, a year or two before this, Jesus says to them, he said, Have I not called you twelve and one of you is a devil? He already knew that Judas was a thief and the devil. Third question. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus give the man who had a problem with stealing, who would rob from the church, why would he give that man charge over the money bag? I'm going to tell you why. Please hear me. It's because the Lord will always test us in the area of our weakness. God's always going to test us in the area of our weakness. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm not just teaching on giving tonight. I really feel like this is a very encompassing message. So let me say some things here. Whatever your weakness is, the devil will tempt you. All right? He'll try to get you to do something. The Lord will test you. The Lord will let there be opportunity. He's not going to push you into it. But he will allow opportunity to come your way. And I pray that when opportunity comes my way for something that I'm being tested in, that I love the Lord so much that it's nothing for me to give a year's wage. Now, I know that sounds extreme. But we need to get that down deep in our hearts. Because that was an extreme gift. But we serve an extreme God. We don't serve a God who is like just everybody else. We don't serve a God who is satisfied with a small commitment. But we serve a God who said, I want all your heart. I want all your soul. And I want all of your might. Our God is an extreme God. So Judas is being tested here in the area of his weakness, you will be tested. Understand that. Just because something comes your way, well, it, it, it must be that God don't, don't mind me doing this because if he minded, he wouldn't allow this to come my way. No, he's probably just testing you. Trying to see if you are, if you are being developed in the area of your consecration and your commitment to the Lord. Now, Judas... Bible calls him a thief. Is that right? Did we see all of us saw that, right? The Bible literally says the words that he was a thief. <clears throat> all right. So, number 4, let me ask you this. We've been talking a lot about Malachi. And and 
what all Malachi has. Matter of fact, why don't you give me Malachi uh, chapter number three? And let's look around verse number, probably around verse number eight. Yeah, that's it. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. Is a robber a thief? All right. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Now, I would hope this would be the case. We used to, to do offering around here a little bit unconventional way. We had a, a basket. Anybody remember that? We had a basket that sat back here. The reason we did that is because when we started the church, it was very awkward to pass the plate <laughs> to, to you and Jimmy. You know, and, and Ben and just a couple of people, you know. It, it, that was a real awkward thing to do. And uh, it, it got back real fast, you know. <laughs> you didn't even have time to sing an offering song, you know. Couldn't even play the intro to the offering song. And so uh, that, that just didn't make sense to do. So we set a basket over on the coffee table and we said, uh, you know, you can just give your tithe and offering when you come in, when you're going out, however you want it, that's fine. And, and it worked well. And so when we moved into this building, we did the same thing. We had it back there. And I've had some people that, that have, Pastor, you know we've had to have lost money before. <laughs> you know somebody's gotten into that offering before. And I don't know. I hope not. I'm, I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt. But, um, but we eventually changed that. And we don't do it that way anymore. Um, but I would hope that in this room, that nobody in this room would ever consider walking by that offering basket and taking anything out of it. Surely nobody would do that, right? <laughs> I got a good amen on that. Everybody's like, not me. Which y'all don't know, y'all just set yourselves up, all right? <laughs> mm, now I'm getting ready to amen. All right. No, we wouldn't go by that offering basket and take anything out. That's what Judas did. That's what Judas did. Judas, the Bible said he was a thief. Yet, if it's in my bank account, and it's my tithe, and it, let me back that up, and it's his tithe, and it belongs to him, and it's in my account, and yet, and I don't give it to him, I've done the same thing according to the scripture. I've robbed him. Further than your tithe, if it's your offering. You don't give it to him. The Bible said we've robbed him. That, see, that amen what fears loud. Why? Because maybe we've been guilty of that. I'm not here to beat us up. I'm, I'm trying to bring revelation to us. God, don't let that be me. I don't want to be Judas. I don't want to be the enemy of generosity. Help me, Lord. Selfishness always wants to point out what I will lose if I become generous. That's what a selfish spirit will do. It's going to point out, remind you. But if you do that, you won't get to do this. That's part of selfishness. Satan himself chose to withhold worship to God in heaven. Why? So that he might become the object of worship himself. Selfish. That's the first thing I wanted to mention. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. The second one is this. I want to talk to you about the extravagance of generosity. We need to get... I, I just believe this is Bible. It is Bible. We need to get to the point in our generosity that we're so generous that, that we can, God can trust us to give extravagantly. Extravagantly. Again, not a lot of amens there. Not a lot of amens there. Think about this. David, the Lord told David, you can't build the temple for me, David. You, you, you're a man of war. you got bloody hands. But I will allow your son Solomon to build it. So David begins to set in store. David said, I may not be able to build it, but I can make sure they've got everything they need when it comes time to build it. And he begins to set in store for that temple. Script, uh, when you look at what he gave in the scripture and you try to uh, extrapolate what that would be worth 
in today's economy, David gave some $2 billion. $2 billion to the building of the temple of God. That was extravagant, wouldn't you say? Mary, in our scripture, gave something worth a year's wage. Extravagant, wouldn't you say? Don't sound as bad to give that, though, now, does it? <laughs> when you're talking about $2 billion. Now, I want to show you something. It's not just about an amount. A widow put in two mites. And Jesus, if you'll let me paraphrase, Jesus said, wow. Wow. She's given more than any of them. They've been coming by, digging deep in their pockets, pulling out all their money, putting in all these big offerings in. And Jesus said, she gave more than any of them. And the disciples said, you're going to have to explain that to me, Lord, because I just watched that man. And that man, he, he put in hundreds and hundreds more than her. She gave two mites. That's, that's not hardly anything. Even if, if you put that in our economy today, that'd be like less than a dollar. Two mites. Lord, I don't understand it. And he said, no, here's the, here's the key. They gave of their abundance. She gave out of her necessity. She needed those two mites. They didn't need whatever it was they were given. But she needed those two mites. That, ladies and gentlemen, was an extravagant gift. I'm not trying to pump us up so that when we come time for Sacrifice Sunday in a couple of months, that, that you'll, you'll just write the biggest check you've ever written. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get us to the point where we are willing to give God generous gifts. That cause us to hurt a little bit. And I know, I know that's not going to be echoed by our society and told that that's something you ought to do. But I want you to know that God's watching how we give. I was, I was astounded, and I won't give names on this, but I was astounded. You know, we've got some out there trying to do away with church's nonprofit status right now. And, and they're pushing for that. And they want churches to have to pay taxes on the monies that come into the church. And, and they're pushing for that. And we keep going this liberal agenda. It will happen. And, and that's one thing to think of when you go to the polls as well. I don't mean to be as political as I've been lately, but it just keeps coming to me. So I'm going to say it's the Lord, all right? No. We'll, whatever happens, we'll, we'll make it because God's going to take care of his people. But... But that could, that could seriously happen in our generation. And, and there's already been a big push for that. Sometimes we need to think about that when we, when we think about who our legislators are. Um, and, and anyways, I'll, I'll move past that. So they're, 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 they're wanting to, to do that. They're wanting to, uh, to cause churches to lose their tax tax exempt status and and have to pay taxes on whatever comes in. Well, obviously, folks, that's going to create a tremendous burden on what the church does. Because because what they would tax on this church would 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 it won't kill it because we'll always do it, but it would kill our missions giving and what we're able to do in missions. And I started adding some numbers up the other day of what we do, and it it, was, it just always astounds me. And and so um, different things like that. We write a check at the beginning of the year and we cover missions for home missionaries and foreign missionaries. And then we give our missionaries that come through good offerings and and we take care of our evangelists when they come through. And and we try to be a blessing to people in need and 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 different things and in, in different ways and in areas. And and so you, we've got these people who are pointing at the church, criticizing us for that. And yet some of these same politicians who are pushing that so strong and, and say they want to run for president, you look at what their giving was to charity. Nothing. I'm talking like less than a percent of their millions of income. And they want to lecture the church on generosity. 
why are you saying all that? I'm saying all that to say this. God's way is the best way. And if we'll follow God's plan, if we'd follow God's plan, we, folks, we wouldn't have a problem with, with, with welfare. We wouldn't have a problem with, with homelessness, with people who were trying not to be homeless. That's the truth. Just stay with me. Y'all okay? All right. Can you give God an amount that will impress him? No, he owns everything. But can you give something to God that will impress him? Yes, you can. It's possible for you to give something that will impress God. 2 Corinthians told us that they gave themselves. The widow gave those two mites. It impressed him. Not the amount. No amount impressed him. It's what she gave that impressed him. And it's not about the amount, but it's about what is coming from our hearts. It's about what is coming from our hearts. And I want to hit this. Now I'm, I'm moving on. I'm coming to a close. I'm really trying to do better lately, and I hope you all appreciate it. If you don't, I'll just go back. Three. <laughs> there are three levels of giving. Three levels of giving that we need to understand. The first one is tithe. That is God's. It belongs to him. It's the first fruits. We've already dealt with that in weeks prior, right? I think we all have had revelation on that. Amen? <clears throat> so that's the first level of giving is our tithe. The second level of giving is our offering. That comes from a cheerful heart. That's something we give because we know that the church in order for God's kingdom to, to be able to move forward and do all the things it's got to do, that there's got to be offerings that come in. And so we do that. And, and I may talk about this. I, I may do one more lesson and talk about this a little bit. But in my family, because I was raised this, I don't make anybody, I don't, I don't tell anybody you have to do this. I don't tell you if you don't do this, you're not saved. But I will tell you, in our family, what we do, what my parents did, and it's been a blessing to us, our tithe is our tithe. Our offerings are half of that. We give 10% tithe. We give 5% offerings. And that is the way we operate in our home. And God is always blessed. And then beyond that, tithes, first level, offerings, second level, third level, extravagant offerings. Every once, if God has never asked you for an extravagant offering, you're not listening. Now that got quiet. I want to say it again because it's true. If you've been serving God for a goodly amount of time and God's never asked you for an extravagant offering, it's not because he didn't ask. It's because we didn't hear. Oh, God, help us to not be so clogged with selfishness that we cannot hear your voice when you ask us to do something that is extravagant and that will cause us to hurt. Somebody shout amen. I'll preach about it more if you don't. It's a shame that most quote-unquote Christians will never even get to that first level. The last statistic I have is this, most recent. Only 5 to 7% of Christians tithe. Only 5 to 7% of Christians tithe. And of those that tithe, a lot of them call it tithing, but it's not. They don't give their tenth. They just give an offering and they call it a tithe. Now I'm talking about over all of Christianity. Thank God that I'm not just part of some watered-down version of Christianity. And I thank God that I'm a part of a great church because this church, that number would not be correct in this church. This is a giving church, and I thank God for it. But I, wanna, I, I do want to rebuke us. If we, if we have anybody in here who would be part of that other 95 uh, to 3%, 93%, 95%, that's not right. That's not right. And if we withhold that, we're robbing God. 
God cannot bless you. God cannot rebuke the devourer for you if you're not being faithful. So if if only 5 to 7% are doing tithe, that number goes down for offerings, it's obviously going to drop even further for extravagant offerings. If everybody who says they're a Christian would give biblically, it would eliminate, it would literally eliminate all of the issues we have in this country for those who don't have enough. And that was God's way. Go study it in the Old Testament. That was God's way. Third thing I'm I'm finishing with is this. We talked about the enemy of generosity being selfishness, the extravagance of generosity, and then finally let me tell you about the reward of generosity. I am so glad to tell you tonight that God has no debtors. He is not indebted to anybody. Our God is not indebted to anybody. Now, we don't give to get. We give, and if you do, you're doing it wrong. Your motive's not right. Don't expect the blessing. We don't give to get. But the truth of the matter is this. When we give, God will not be indebted to us. That's not his way. Let me show you. Why did Mary give in our text? Why did she give such a generous gift? Because she was simply grateful for what the Lord had done for her brother by raising him from the dead. If the Lord raised one of my kids from the dead, and then I came to church, and he said, give me everything you got. I raised your kid from the dead. Give me everything you got. I'd, I'd say... Babe, where's the checkbook? And we'd write a check for whatever we've got. Sign over whatever we have. It's yours, Lord. Why? Because we're grateful. If we can see that in such an extreme example, why do we struggle to see that in the everyday minutia of our lives? Having just come through Thanksgiving, is there any grateful person in this house tonight? Is there anybody that you feel like the Lord's been good to you? Better than you deserve? Is there anybody in here he's ever healed? Is there anybody in here he ever delivered you from an addiction? Like we talked about Sunday. Is there anybody in here he ever restored a a marriage? Is there anybody here he he ever brought your children back close to you? Is there anybody in here... That God's ever done anything for you. He's been so good. Mary was grateful. So she gave a gift. That she felt matched her level of gratitude. To the Lord. She did not come to be rewarded. But God did reward her. Generosity is when we give with no expectation of return. Selfish giving, and there is such a thing in the church. Selfish giving is when you give demanding that, A, God gives you something back, or B, that your gift be dictated, determined by you. In other words, it's about control. That's good teaching right there. Selfish giving is when you give with an... With an expectation, God, you better give this back or else. And it's a sad day when people do that. You're not going to, I've said it before, you're not going to blackmail God. Or two, selfish giving is if you give with your gift to be determined or controlled by you. That's not how it works. That's not God's way. And it's not the Bible way. Hebrews 11.6 says this. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you study that word rewarder. Without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's the only time you'll find that particular word. 
rewarder. If you look at it in the original language, it's the only time in Scripture you're going to find it. It's the only time it's used. Why? Because that word is not just a reward, but it's saying it is a reward, but it's not like other rewards. It is an extravagant reward. So God rewards extravagantly to those that diligently seek Him. And notice the way it says it. He, what's that two-letter word that follows He? Is. Say this with me. Say, He is. All right. He is. Okay. What's the big deal about that? Well, let me tell you. God cannot lie because He is truth. God cannot sin because He is holy. And God cannot not bless you because He is a rewarder. If you believe that He is truth, if you believe that He is love, if you believe that He is holy, then you have to believe that He is a rewarder. And God will not be indebted to us. So I'm not giving to get, but I'm also not giving thinking that it's going into a black hole that it just disappears and nothing good ever comes from it. When I give, I also have the assurance that God will take care of me. And it's interesting that the same man, and I'm done now, by the way, and it's only 7.57. It's interesting that the same man who gave $2 billion to the building of the temple that he would never see, the same man that gave extravagantly is the same man that said, I have been young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Why, David? Because not only is he truth, not only is he holy, not only is he love, but he is a rewarder. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I am praying that God would allow a spirit of generosity, not just here in this place tonight, but it would become a part of our lifestyle. It become a part of our lifestyle. Uh, Brother Randall, uh, Sunday morning, was teaching Sunday school, and he, uh, he had everybody passing this gift around. And some of y'all were probably thinking, how long am I going to have to pass this gift around? And uh, he, uh, he, if, it, if it stalled, it stalled with me. And he said, no, keep that thing going. Well, I was catching on. No, I, don't, I, had, I didn't know what was going on with it. Keep that thing going. We kept it going. Finally, <laughs> when he ended it, Brother Nathaniel had it. Opened that box up. There was a $100 bill in there. Right? $100 bill in there. That He said, that's yours. Keep it. Take it with you. That was, a, that was an extravagant gift he gave to just prove a point in a lesson. I want to be the kind of person that God can trust me to give an extravagant gift. And to realize that not everything even that comes to me is for me. Just because it comes to me doesn't mean it's for me. If I listen to that still small voice, every once in a while he's going to say, Now you take it, turn around, bless somebody else. Brother Nathaniel, I'm expecting a Holy Ghost handshake later. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I set that up, didn't I? No, I'm kidding. That's for you. But sometimes those little blessings and surprises. And I'll end, and, and this is this last thing I say. Can I give your testimony? Can I give your testimony? I told her she was able to be here the night of our Thanksgiving testimony. I wanted her to share this. I've told you we need a new van. And so we're looking into options of getting another church van. The one we have is probably close to being on its last leg. And we need more room anyway. And, and so we need two vans. But uh, we, we have to get another one. And so I was telling the church, uh, I don't know, a couple Wednesday nights ago or so, saying something to the effect of we need to... Um, 
we're going to probably at some point take up an offering. And if you feel like there's something that the Lord would have you give, then uh, just be praying about that. We'll we'll take up a special offering for that. And uh, whether you give it or not, we'll do it because we need it. But it, we got a building to build too. And so we're trying to be wise and careful with our money. So Sister Linda was just giving me a testimony. She said, you know, she said, I, I had a number in my head of what I would like to give for that van that you were talking about. And she said, I didn't really have the money to do it, didn't know how to do it. And uh, she said, you know, I, I went home and she said, we got a check back from the county or something, from Craighead Electric, some overages they had charged them over the year. And she said, we got a check back from Craighead Electric. And do, would you believe it was enough for me to give that amount? That awesome. Sometimes God doesn't give it. Just, I know you are. You'd have given it anyway. But the Lord sure took care of it, didn't he? Didn't give it to you for you to just use it for just anything. But he said, I know what your heart is. I know what you're wanting to give to this. And I'm going to make a way for you to do it. And when God gives, we ought to look and say, is there a portion of this? Is there... Is there a part of it? Maybe all of it? Whatever the case. But God, do is there something you need me to do with this? Oh, help us, Lord, to be givers. Help us, God, to be generous. Help us, Lord, to understand the powerful principles contained in your word. And that if we'll do this, you'll take care of us. We'll never see the righteous forsaken. Nor a seed begging bread. Let's stand together right now. And let's lift our hands together. And let's pray that prayer that God would allow that spirit of generosity to come over us. Lord, let that be who we, who we are in my house. Lord, let that be who we are in our house. Help us to get that in our children, God. Help me to get that in this church, God. Help us to be generous givers. Help us, Lord, to not be afraid to give an extravagant gift. Help us, Lord, to follow the leading of your spirit. Help us to be faithful with our obligation first. But then let there be something within us that says, now let's see what I can do beyond that. And Lord, we know as we do, you'll take care of us. We're going to be okay, God. We're going to be okay because, Lord... We're your children. And you're going to make sure your kids are taken care of. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Has anybody enjoyed this series we've been in? Hasn't this been good? I want to thank Pastor Clinton for helping. He's with the hyphen tonight. They all had their hyphen party this evening. But I want to thank Pastor Clinton for helping me teach it. And he did a tremendous job with the lessons he taught, and, uh, and I thank God for it.